Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, December the 28th, 2022. I'm not going to be using that word, 2022. I think there's more than one word in it. Uh, much longer. We've got about three days left of the year. So over the last few days, we've been revisiting some of the big themes of 2022 and trying to figure out 2023. Um, according to time, which still exists, um, working from home is the trend of the year. And next year, too, apparently. Uh, I always work from home, but I've been working from home forever. Oddly enough, time also had a piece... Um, about the office of the future being greener, more social, and might even include childcare. We have that actually in Silicon Valley. It's called Google. Um, one person who's given a great deal of thought to the future of the office is my old friend, Julia Hobsbawm. Um, she has a new book out, The Nowhere Office, a big hit, Reinventing Work and the Workplace of the Future. And like everybody else, she's been thinking about the, the year. She has six ideas. And one of those ideas is that work will never be the same again. Uh, and she is joining us from what I hope is her home office in London, North London, of course. Uh, Julia, welcome. Hello. Yes, of course. I'm in my nowhere office, Andrew. Um, before we went live, Julia, you said that your business is hoovering up the zeitgeist i think you need to to own that phrase um when it comes to hoovering up the zeitgeist um is the idea of the home office is it really new and 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 has it climaxed so to speak in 2022 well i think it reached a proverbial tipping point i mean nothing is completely new and the whole idea of working from home and working flexibly um, has been around in earnest in the workplace since around the 1970s, but it was it was somewhat um, reduced by being seen as a woman's issue, not everybody's issue. And of course, many men executives, many male executives, and um, the scales fell from their eyes during the pandemic. Um, look, lots of factors coalesced that were bubbling away, and the pandemic tipped them into view. Um, there's a lot of debate at the moment about, oh, is everything just going to go back to normal? And in office terms, in um, knowledge work terms, it isn't. I mean, at, at the AI end, at the tech end, we thought it was Zoom that was changing everything uh, during the pandemic. Of course, now we're seeing with uh, the chatbots uh, like chat G GPT that revolution is happening all the time in work. But the biggest revolution is how people feel. And actually what I'm observing, apropos zeitgeist, what I think really is the zeitgeist that we should talk about more, is that it isn't just, oh, privileged people in their offices who get to choose whether or not they work hybrid. Yes, there's that element. But actually you see in the strikes and the rebellions and everything from the National Health Service, largest employer, one of the largest employers in the world, uh, people who never strike, to Amazon workers or Starbucks workers, also people who historically never went on strike. The so-called blue-collar work is experiencing as much unrest and upset 
as the white collar world. Uh, but striking workers is an interesting subject, of course, but that's got nothing to do with working from home. They're not striking to work at home. No, but what is happening is that white collar workers and blue collar workers are weirdly uniting in saying we want to work differently. We want how work works for us to change and we do not want to go back to how it was before. And that is why I think, well, Time magazine said that working from home was the phrase of the year. The Economist slightly clunkily, instead of saying what they could have said, which is the nowhere office is the phrase of the year, they de facto said it was by saying that hybrid work is the two word word of the year. So we know that the concept of hybrid in terms of knowledge work is here to stay. And my point is, it's part of an overall broader upset I'm seeing in the world of work. And are there companies in particular who are pioneering this? I mean, you're talking in London, I'm in Silicon Valley. As I half joked earlier, you know, Google have, have been pioneering a lot of this stuff and they're not going back to the office, uh, even if they have offices. Um, people here just don't want to go back to the office and, and no one can force them. Is the same happening in the UK? It is. I mean, people are going back to the office and it's not the end of the office. Um, I've just joined Bloomberg as a commentator this year and I go into the office quite frequently. And interestingly, I've noticed that there are some innovations that Bloomberg have been doing for years that I'm now really experiencing as somebody that goes in. For instance, um, if you go into a Bloomberg office, you can it, 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 you actually can only go to the same floor first, which is what they call the pantry, the social space, the place you go to to meet and have a coffee and hang out. I, I've said for a long time, and the evidence does show that this is happening, is that offices are places where people need to meet for particular reasons, mainly to be social or to learn or to teach or even to resolve conflict. They are no longer the place that is the, the, the sort of end of the commuter belt, that you start in one place, you schlep into the other. Uh, and, and to that degree office occupancy uh, is shrinking considerably and office redesign is happening rapidly. I'm about to go and have a tour of Google's European HQ, actually, which I'm looking forward to. Everybody who can spend money refurbishing and repurposing offices is doing so. But your point is the right one, which is nobody wants to go back full time. That's the issue for employers, for managers, and my goodness, it's the issue for real estate uh, salespeople. So what advice would you give, Julia, um, uh, managers, directors of companies uh, who are having to deal with this, who would ideally like to get everyone back to the office, uh, but <laughs> their, their people don't want to come. At the same time, they can't shut their office down. They're on the hook, perhaps, for a lease, and they realize that there are some benefits. What's the best strategy to tiptoe, if you like, back to normal? Or to well, I think it, at least. I'm reminded of the phrase of, I think it was Scott McNally said in um, at, the, at the dawn of the internet um, of, of, of Sun Microsystems, I think he said in about 2009, you have zero privacy, get over it, which pretty much sums up the future of, of, of social media and the internet. And he was right. It was about mitigating that absence and loss of, of privacy. And I think what I would fundamentally say to managers, and 
they've learned the lessons the hard way, haven't they? Whether it's Elon Musk or um, David Solomon uh, of, of Goldman Sachs is hybrid is here, however hard it is, get over it. So there is there's no merit in in trying to insist people come back. And actually, Nicholas Bloom of Stanford's research, which is now, you know, the research that everybody cites all the time, talked about something like 50% non-compliance. So the first advice is stop struggling to impose something that is not going to be uh, obeyed. The second is to do the hard stuff, which as a critic of a lot of management and leadership um strategies over the years, I would say they haven't done enough of, which is do the work to support the workforce to get great work done. Stop following old rules and old norms and old top-down fantasies of control. Learn from the bottom up, iterate workplace by workplace. There's absolutely no one size fits all anymore. And of course, that's That's freaky for an industry that has tried to control things at scale in a globalized way for, you know, 50 years, more, 100 years. Julia, that's the new orthodoxy, but you you brought up Elon Musk. He owns Twitter. He can do whatever he likes with it. He's fired, I don't know, 60, 70 percent of the people there. He still wants to run it top down. He's done that successfully with Tesla and SpaceX. Um, I, I don't really see that much evidence that someone like Musk is going to change. I mean, he might run Twitter into the ground. He might even run Tesla into the ground. But his model is just as credible, isn't it? Well, a colleague of mine at Bloomberg, Adrian Wildridge, wrote a very interesting piece on this recently, basically arguing that you can, you know, shout all you like about bad behavior and uh, egregious practices, but but, you know, Capitalism has always done the hard stuff um, without fear or favor, and and it still works that model. That's not really my business to to judge. My business is to say that's not how most enlightened organizations are going for a couple of really big reasons. One is that the uh, the boomer generation and the X generation and basically oldies like me and dare I say you are no longer running the show and we're running the show less and less. It's the millennials and the Gen Zs and they really have different values, different expectations. On the one hand, they have um, ideology, purpose. They want the world to be fair and they want certain rights, etc. But on the other hand, they have the technology to support effectively a distributed workforce model. And it is extremely difficult to imagine a work environment going forward in what is still going to be a globally unified world of work and say, yeah, but you've all got to file in uh, as if you were a factory. It comes back to my point about white collar and blue collar. If you want to have knowledge workers who are treated as special, who work in a way that uses their skills, don't treat them like cannon fodder. Don't treat them like, you know, the famous uh, Cree de Coeur literature of the 20s and 30s, you know, Upton Sinclair. Um, treat them differently. So I, I think some value shifts have happened and the technology is making it very difficult to argue in what for what I would call pointless presenteeism. I think you need 
collaboration, creativity, culture, social gatherings, but you do not need a fixed place of work for every cohort in the workplace all the time. You just don't. How is it changing the home? Um, You're talking to me from your home office. We all have our home office. I've turned one of the rooms in my home into a into a podcast studio um i'm guessing that some people are tired of living in their office uh some people are tired or will become tired of the uh, of the destruction of the demarcation between work and rest is that happening and 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 how is it reshaping home well There are actually two different questions here, Andrew. The question about demarcation is this is my mobile. The mobile has sort of screwed up the demarcation um, because the tools of the office, email, WhatsApp, documents, downloads, um, are now mobile. The reason why we used to go into an office is that's where the kit was that you needed, whether it was the typewriter uh, or the filing cabinet or the computer. Um, So the big problem that's been present since the beginning of the internet has been um, switching off uh, the always on, that whole issue. And that is now more marked because some businesses and organizations are taking advantage of this moment and saying you have to work remotely because it's cheaper for them. So, you know, we, we, we often frame this question about what's better for workers and what's better for their sense of inclusion and better for their mental health. And, but, but sometimes they do not have a choice um, and it's difficult. It's also the same issues pertain that always have pertained. It's really about raw economics as well, isn't it? About equality and about fairness. You know, I, I have to say I never did colour coordinate my bookshelves, but plenty did. But, you know, I have a big house. I've got not one, but two rooms I work out in, uh, out of. Um, lots of people don't have that luxury. Lots of people share places or they've got children running around. My my beautiful grandson is 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 seen less more less than I would like because I have to do a lot of work and can't have him squeaking in the background. Not everybody has the luxury. So you're right, the home suffers because the home has to often double up. But all the data shows that I've seen that everybody wants to choose. I I, I talked yesterday to a 25-year-old, she's in her second job, she works for a charity, she lives near that charity. She can barely afford, in the cost of living crisis, the heating. Um, uh, but she said to me, it still doesn't make me go into the office the whole time. I do not want to be in the office the whole time. So for me, the pandemic and this moment is a bit of a classic Pandora's box. We can, we can say it should never have been opened. We can say, oh, my God, what's happened now? It's been opened. But here we are. The question for me is, what do we do next? How do we improve on the state of work, which has had lots and lots of inequalities? Yeah, so, so let, let's go on with that. You're one of your Bloomberg uh, columns, um, actually, f- from a few days ago, asked about how the office will change again in 2023. Let's break it down. Um, what would you like to see happen, Julia? What do you think would be in everyone's benefit for the um 
for the development of the office in 2023? Well, I think the first is to not keep trying to apply a one-size-fits-all model. You know, I, I, I'm sympathetic to the businesses that tried to say, okay, everybody's in three days a week or, you know, everybody's back in full time on such and such a date. It's got to be workplace by workplace. That's the first thing. The second thing is to invest... workplace by workplace? What I mean is what Google might need to do in London in a, in a quarterly period may actually not be what Google need to do in Hamburg uh, or, or might yeah, not. If you're work. a senior person at Google, why, you've got better things to do than worrying about, well, people in Hamburg want to come in on a Friday and people in London want to come in on a Thursday. Eh? No, but it's not about personal preferences. It's about what's the work, Andrew. And actually, what better work is there as a manager or a leader than to deliver the products and services with a workforce that is engaged and present and committed? Let's not forget... That pre-pandemic. Yeah, it sounds like you're turning all these companies into HR companies. The HR people, uh, they're like children in the Victorian world. They should be seen and not heard. You need to <laughs> Well, bad HR. I mean, you know, I say in my book, the nowhere office that HR is the bullied child of the C-suite. Look, the reality is we're in a people business now. You know, peop- the, the, the HR role is probably going to get more central and it should. The question is, what was good HR and what was bad HR? I mean, I think I'm right that when Uber floated, it had to disclose in its flotation document that its HR practice was to enable um, bad behavior by its founder, Travis uh, Kalanick. I mean, the reality is if HR is simply backing the boss rather than telling the board, this is what gets people so uh, Travis is, of course, everyone's bad boy. Are there examples of companies... Well, okay, I start right. Who's the anti-Travis? Okay. But the, this, the point is not actually the heroes and villains. The point you asked earlier is, is about good practice. So the businesses that are probably more interesting to look at are actually the ones where there's a manufacturing element mm. and a back office element. Uh, Fortnum and Masons might not seem a very good example, a luxury purveyor of, 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 of food and, and uh, drink. Um but actually it does because it has a back office um, and, and you know, salespeople and designers and marketers. And then it's got people on the shop floor. When I go to Fortnum and Mason's for my sugared almonds, which I highly recommend, I do not want somebody to say, well, you know, I'm not I'm not working that counter because I'm working from home, for example. So there are complex issues. The settle down figure, as far as I can see from speaking to a lot of companies around the world, is that those kind of businesses will never expect more than about 40% of their workforce to be working flexibly because 60% can't. So that's the first thing. So 2023, more flexibility. What else? Uh, More flexibility. And um, I'm now thinking, what piece are you referring to? I certainly think flexibility and an end to flex shaming. Secondly, I think a repurposing of the workspace, which is, you don't want to come in back to your cubicle. Really, what is the point in working side by side yeah. on Slack? Sorry. I mean, there just isn't any point. And in fact, this year has been marked by, uh, I think it was Harvard Business Review published a piece um, that said there was something like 130 different interactions with 
different pieces of software in an average day. You know, there's just too much stuff that's happening. So you want flexibility, but you also want boundaries to your point about home and office. You want to be able to to say, look, we need you in on this configuration for this workplace because then if you don't like it, well, I'm afraid then then that's a separate issue. What do you most fear? What what do you what, what most worries you about the future of work and the office? What most what most worries me is that there's still quite a lack of imagination amongst people who run organizations. They want the easy life, the quiet life, and they want presenteeism. They want to be able to measure and monitor the old way rather than to be innovative. And I sat in a panel at the Global Drucker Forum in Vienna a couple of uh, months ago um, with uh, Frauke von Polka, who's the uh, European HR Officer of the Year, actually, for a, a German manufacturing business. And she said, we don't really trial anything now that lasts longer than a year, maybe even three months. You know, you've got to the fear is that everybody wants to impose the same strictures that have existed before. And I don't, I think this is a great opportunity to iterate and to innovate and to be radical. My fear is that if we don't do this, we being those people who advise organizations or who run organizations or who recruit and train for organizations, the fear is that um, you're going to get more, sort of career cushioning, quiet quitting, non-compliance, you're going to get bigger and bigger productivity dips. You're going to get more turnover, which is expensive. You're going to see a slump in in output. And I think work is good. I'm pro-work. I'm not part of the camp that uh, it's an interesting camp, but it's not my camp. The camp that says, Oh, we shouldn't really be working at all. You know the the and our anti work. The, the work won't love you back crowd. We've had the many work won't love you back crowd. The anti work Reddit crowd that's got one point seven million. You know, I go on that Reddit thing and I think I don't know. What about really. Julia? If if I mean we everyone talks about inflation and one of the consequences of our inflationary time is. Jobs are still plentiful. I'm not sure what they're like in the U- UK, but in the US, um, if you want to work, you could always get a job. And um, there are lots of jobs still being uh, going unhired. What happens if unemployment ticks up in 2023? How will that affect this whole debate? People will be happy to have a job and they're not going to start arguing about whether or not they can work from home or from an office. Well, that is the same argument that says people are going to go to work in order to save on their heating bills. They might. I mean, you know, if there's a global slump or another series of shutdowns, anything could happen. But the markers of the desire for change and the attendant legislative changes. So, for instance, um, I just did a thing at Bloomberg quick take um, and we crunch some data it's over a billion people now on the planet are already directly affected by recent legislation changes to support flexible working even in places like Malaysia you know from Greece to Taiwan even in the UK um, which has you know not exactly been fabulously advanced on flexible working they are reviewing now the right to request which isn't the right to compel, but it's the right to request 
flexible working is likely to switch from being only after you've worked for six months to day one. So I do think the cat is out of the bag, Andrew. I don't feel that there are going to be shifts. If there's a slump, well, then there's a whole different set of problems. I'm not talking about that. But I, I don't agree that there is any factor that is going to basically flip the switch and, and make people not want to work flexibly and with freedom across all the demographics. And that's why, um, you know, the office is changing. That's why the legislation is changing. That's why working practices is changing. But it's not to say it's a cinch. It's not. It's really complicated and it's really hard. And it's why, you know, when my book was published a year ago, I thought, am I going to be in vogue on this for five minutes? And it's continuing to be, I hope, a bit topical and relevant. In fact, I've just done the preface for the paperback that's coming out. And I had that kind of moment that every author dreads when you think, crikey, is half the book going to feel redundant? And at the moment, it's not. At the moment, it's still completely live. The issues have not gone away, which is we now have to be living and working in a much more integrated way. And that requires a system change. It's quite a radical moment and it's an uncomfortable moment for, for people who run organizations. And finally, you mentioned chat GD, uh, GPT. Um, that's seems to be dominating all the conversations here over the last few weeks. How do you expect that theoretically in 2023 to change the nature of the office or work? Because this isn't going away. It's not like crypto. It's not like Web3. No. This is for real. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's why I opened my first point of my six ideas for 2023, not just with the future of work, but with chat GPT. I mean, I think it's profound. I'm, I'm slightly shocked at how sudden it's been because, you know, we've all been talking about the fourth industrial revolution and blah, 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 and arguing about how many more jobs are going to be created and lost and uh, but actually, this AI, which is, of course, not new, it's just that it it, it came out. Now it worked. It worked and it was made freely available. It is. I always thought AI was like the Brazilian economy, always, uh, always the next big thing, always on the horizon. But now it's actually arrived. Can which I just say, news, by the way, uh, good news people... for our Brazilian audience, you still, maybe your economy will one day be real. <laughs> Can I just say, apropos your Brazilian audience, that I just looked at some data yesterday, 53% of Brazilians are in favour of flexible working, which is, of course, means that 40, 47% aren't. But nevertheless, that balance is changing. I think chat, GPT and AI... How many Brazilians did was it, were asked? Probably three. No, it was... I can tell yeah. you, it was, about, it was over 2,000, but across about 151 municipalities. We'll have to do so, a whole show, Julia, on the future of work in Brazil. Let's do a whole show in every single country on the future of work on the Nowhere Office, Andrew. I'm there. But go back to ending on G chat GPT. I think it's pretty profound because if we have focused our mind on the shift from the technology moving from somewhere fixed to somewhere mobile, um, but that it requires a skilled worker, and if we've focused in the last five years in particular on the dialogue around soft skills and people skills and all that stuff for the digital natives, if what we're actually saying is at a stroke, you can eliminate by a factor of five or 10 
the number of workers because one software program can do that work, then we're going to be needing offices less and less and we really are going to need less workers. So it's a moment. We'll know over the next six months, but it's 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 a big moment. It doesn't change the fundamental shift in the contract between worker, work and workplace. That's the nowhere office. And I've always said the nowhere office is a moment in the history of work. It's not forever. Maybe we'll get to the someplace space the next time I talk to you. But for now, we are absolutely nowhere near where we were and we're nowhere near where we're going to end up. 